Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to Blogging Theology. Uh, today I'm delighted to talk uh, to Daniel uh, of the Muslim Skeptic who is in the UK for the first time. You're most welcome, sir. Assalamu alaikum. Well. Nice to meet you. Uh, fine, this is the first time I've met Daniel uh, in person and your first visit to the UK. Yes. Well, we've got lovely English weather here. It's raining and miserable and cloudy. It's so embarrassing because you're from, you're from Texas, is that yeah. right? In the States. Fantastic. So um, you've been really busy, I think, in the UK so far. For what, so what have you been up to? Where have you been? Where have you been? Yeah, I've been vi visiting a lot of different parts of the UK. Oh, so yeah. I was in uh, London, Birmingham. Uh, Birmingham, is that the correct pronunciation? B B Birmingham, Birmingham. 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 <laughs> I think if you're there, it's Birmingham, but I yeah. call it Birmingham. Okay, Birmingham, yeah. Birmingham. Because you have a Birmingham mistakes in Alabama, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, Alabama, yeah. 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 Is it so different though? Yeah. Different pronunciation, but also yep. uh, up north in Bradford, gave a talk. So, alhamdulillah, just visiting different... Uh, mosques, visiting different parts of the UK community. Right. So it's very nice. Uh, one thing we were just discussing earlier actually is uh, Muslims in the UK versus Muslims in America because uh, there's some quite, you noticed some quite big differences, did you, in terms of, you know, demographically, socioeconomically, and the terms of identity. Uh, could you discuss that? Um, how yeah, it you seems saw? to be that there's a lot of big differences between the community here and in America. Um, uh, it's there's a socioeconomic component. There's mm. also a population density component. So you can go to many parts of the UK, and if you wanted to, you could only see Muslims <laughs> going on the streets, mm. and there'll be uh, hijabis, women in niqab, uh, just Muslims dressed traditionally. And it, there were some days that I didn't even see a non-Muslim. Really? Yeah, a Gosh. whole day. This must have been in Birmingham. Or Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you can't see that in the U.S. There is not that level of Muslim population density in certain areas. Yeah, you can go to certain in the big cities like in New York or L.A. There might be a street right. that has Muslim shops, but even in those streets, it's maybe fifty percent non-Muslim. Yeah. Um, so that that was something completely different. Uh, about is that because like, America is such a vast continent, isn't it? And I've been there. And it's yeah. huge. Whereas everything England's very small. You could fit like England in like Texas, probably, couldn't you? Quite easily. Yes. yes <laughs> so uh, obviously we're concentrated in in big cities here, uh, yeah. like in the states. So mm. that's a big difference. But I mean, there seems to be like a different mentality as well. Um, oh, over yeah. there, Muslims are more identity conscious in terms of assimilating or being viewed as American, being part of the American fabric right. uh, culturally, uh, in terms of identity. Whereas there's not, I didn't see as much of that in the UK. So I think that also affects the level of religiosity or at least the outward 
um, you know, adoption of religiosity in so, terms of going to the mosque, right. you know, dressing a certain way. That that is a very noticeable difference as well. So, are you think uh, British Muslims are more committed to the Dean, perhaps committed to Islam than? Yeah, I would say that that's the case. You know, if we were to objectively uh, measure right. uh, UK, the way that it's described, usually, okay, they're more conservative. Yeah, they're more conservative. The way it's said pejoratively is that <laughs> <laughs> the UK is ten years behind. You know, in terms of adopt liberalization and oh. uh, assimilation, so that's how it's said pejoratively, like, "Oh, you're behind us. We're ahead in." But it's uh, it's, other, Daniel, it's other way around because I, I've often been told, you know, when I went to, to Birmingham, not Alabama, but Birmingham in the UK, that you know, when the first big wave of Muslim immigrants came here, like three generations ago, mm -hmm. you know, they built the mosques and the halal restaurants and the infrastructure and so on. They weren't necessarily that practicing, and then their children became uh, more practicing. But today youth in the UK are much more practicing than their parents or their grandparents really? so the, the 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 trajectory is not towards liberalization it's actually to a greater fidelity or adherence to the, the Dean actually and this seems to be often the case in Europe actually not just here I've, I've heard that same in in Scandinavia Sweden for example Germany uh, France has, has big problems but you know it's not towards liberalization in Europe anyway so mm. much that's um, interesting. I yeah. didn't um, know that that history, but in the U.S., it's the complete opposite. Like the mm. the first wave of immigration, maybe in the '60s, was the biggest wave, um, and and '70s they were much more conservative really? than the second generation or the third generation. That's really because it's, it's, it's the opposite of what I'm hearing, and I've, I've tried to get some reliable information about this, but everyone's telling me the same thing in different parts of the U.K. And then I asked about the European experience mm. from friends in in Berlin and. So on, saying, so, "Oh, it's the same thing." I mean, Dr. Abdullah Swedi from Sweden mm -hmm. said exactly the same thing in Sweden. Where we're seeing an increased adherence to the Dean, uh, you know, people are, are praying and during Ramadan fasting, and so this is this is very interesting. That do, so America do, might be the exception, actually. How do they explain that? Uh, good question. Um, and I've asked this. Some people say that the the family, Muslim families, are quite strong in the UK. Mm. So you know, uh, we have parents and grandparents. And so on the, the the breakdown in the family has not really hit the Muslim family so much in the UK, and that helps to transmit the, the deen, the faith, from generation to generation. But also, I think we've got some amazing um, Dawa guides. You know, we all know who the old Sapiens Institute. We've got Mohammed Hijab. We've got Hamza Zoltzis, and so on. I mean. These are huge influences, and people, young people, watch their stuff, their content, and presumably are inspired by it and, and learn from it, and obviously from your content as well. So there's not much kind of liberal modernist stuff around when it comes to social media. I don't know if what you think. Yeah, in, I don't in the know. UK anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure what could explain it. Maybe it's also the fact that Islamic schooling in the US is few and far between. You do have ah. Islamic schools, mm. but they haven't really been prioritized in terms of funding or organization. Mm. There are good Islamic schools, but maybe the lack of Islamic schooling or like madrasa systems, like m there are madrasas, but they're few and far between when you look at the entire landmass of the United States. Mm. Some cities have them, some cities don't. So that probably can have a big effect on religiosity. Mm. Maybe he, over here, the previous generation, yeah, they, they established the madrasa. They didn't yeah. necessarily attend the madrasa, but they put their kids in, in the madrasa and they, mm. that led to more religiosity. 
generation over generation. It's strange because that also bucks the trend in other parts of the Muslim world. Other parts of the Muslim world, you see liberalization. All of these Muslim countries mm -hmm. are yeah. becoming liberalized, uh, and this is reflected in the breakdown of family, yeah. uh, among other things. So. <laughs> what what a interesting uh, counterintuitive phenomenon. Yeah, but well this is I spoke to uh, Professor Linda Woodhead. She's a professor of sociology and religion at King's College here in London. She's an expert on you know demographics and faith and so on. And religion is declining in the UK. Absolutely, it's secularized. Families breaking down. Individualism uh, and liberalisation is rampant. Except when it comes to Muslims. <laughs> and this was her, you know, this is a recent census that was done uh, earlier this year, and it's painting of a completely different, yeah. I mean, this is an extraordinary story. It's simply not happening the same way to Muslims. Muslims are growing in number uh, and, and strength. Uh, yeah, that's very, um, but I also a big difference I noticed between the US and the UK is that the government is much more overtly mm. involved with the Muslim community yeah. in terms of monitoring uh, yeah. programs and I was shocked to hear that in some of the, the madrasas the government requires that secular subjects be taught first before religious what, subjects. Where is this? These are in just the madrasa systems like the... In which country? In here. Yeah, here. Yeah, okay, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that uh, this is shocking to me as an American yeah. for the government to overtly yes. dictate yes. what a Islamic school, ostensibly private school, would teach in what order. No, you have to prioritize the secular subjects. And apparently, one madrasa that um, resisted the government mandate was taken to court by the government mm -hmm. to force them mm -hmm. to obey this. So th that's shocking, something like that yeah. wouldn't happen. So maybe, to tie it back to the um, demographic point, like mm. this is uh, the Muslim community in the eyes of a secular regime is a much bigger threat. You know, if we don't mm -hmm. clamp down on this kind of increase in religiosity, that's going to have uh, wide-ranging ramifications for the secular British yeah. values that we have. No, I mean, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, uh, the brother here is talking about Ofsted and, and the role of Ofsted uh, in clamping down on, on the, this kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it's certainly the case <coughs> that, uh, you know, the LGBT agenda and other agendas are being pushed hard in schools in general. Uh, and obviously Muslim children go to schools. So um, there, there's a real issue. I'm not saying it's all rosy, um, but there does seem to be a difference between the States and here and Europe. And Europe is very, uh, German, France is very authoritarian. Uh, even in, more so in, than here. Far more than here. In fact, throughout Europe it's the same, pretty much. England seems to be different, or UK seems to be different, really, for some reason. For historical reasons, I suspect. Um, but if possible, can we just change the subject, really, to what's on everyone's mind, and that is the, the conflict um, in the Middle East, in the occupied territories, in Gaza, um, but particularly because you, you've been very vocal on the Western media reporting of the conflict. And I, I've just been shocked, really, because I knew, I knew the, West, the West has a particular view. But the way everyone, be it governments, corporations, universities, media, seem to be in lockstep in agreement to have one line only, and all coming up with the same rhetoric all the time, almost the same phrases, almost as if they've all met together in a room and said, we will have this single response. And the way dissent, obviously, is not given any space, uh, airtime, really. Um, with very few rare exceptions. Um, and I've just been struck by this, how absolutely watertight this narrative is that we're all having to subscribe to. Uh, I mean, how, how, is that the same in America for you? Is it, how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, it's the same. Um, it's it seems coordinated because mm -hmm. it is coordinated. Right. Um, they'll literally send media packets um, to different outlets, channels, and there will be a literal script. You know, don't don't say, for example, that Palestinians were killed by Israelis. Say that Palestinians have died. Yeah, the passive yeah. voice. You yes. know, these types of instructions. Never call it. Never describe Israel as an occupier or Palestine as an occupied state. Always frame the com uh, frame it as a conflict between two equal sides right. um, so these are these are deliberate instructions that are given and distributed by uh, Zionist sources and the Israeli lobby and this is well known this is not something that they've just rolled out for for the present situation this is something that has been institutionalized uh, for decades mm. uh, around reporting um, Israelis uh, aggression against the Palestinians so and this is not just this issue all issues like liberal media, a liberal secular media, I don't mean like left-wing, but just, you know, secular media in general is mind control. Mm -hmm. And I actually taught a course on this at, at my institute on liberal mind control and how much control of the way that we think within of these liberal so-called democracies and how we are meant to view uh, life in liberal society as a life of free thinking, mm -hmm. free speech, you're, you're free to explore different ideas, when in reality it's totalitarian control. Mm -hmm. And your thought mm -hmm. is carefully uh, engineered to align with a certain uh, liberal paradigm. Um, and this is, this is the r stark reality. We see the edges of it, or the most apparent mm -hmm. um, aspects of it when we notice that, oh, for example, there's a viral video or several viral videos of uh, they've compiled news channels, mm -hmm. local news channels, and they all will have the same exact line. Oh, have you seen right. this? Yes, I have. Yes, yes. You see, you see uh, extracts from all these independent newsrooms all actually saying exactly the same thing. And you can see them all at the same time. So it really exposes the, uh, the coordination, uh, as you put it, of, of these people and, and gives the lie to the idea of independent journalism and a free society when they're all singing from the same hymn sheet, quite literally. Yeah. But I mean, people like uh, Noam Chomsky, uh, the American writer, uh, commentator, have been saying this before, of course. Uh, not necessarily in the, uh, exactly, not just necessarily in the Muslim uh, context, but in, in a more uh, general American context. So this has been something that's been known, but now it's really very explicit and obvious. This is what struck me. It's like no pretense anymore of being neutral or independent, rather. It's like everyone's saying the same thing. Um, yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah, it might have not have been as obvious before because of lack of access to social media or social media wasn't as robust and developed yeah. as it is in 2023. Um, but in the past, if you just see, you know, if you're just consuming one or two news channels yeah. and they happen to have the similar talking points, it won't strike you as odd. But when you look at across the board, even internationally, mm. everyone is saying the same thing, you know, all the establishment media saying the same thing, then it's more obvious that there's coordination happening. The other important contrast, I think, is that when it comes to the supporters of Palestine, um, they also 
have a coordinate and not coordinated but they have the, uh, aligned talking points but there is no coordination mm. like people are saying the same thing why because it's based on reality <laughs> it's, the truth has this uh, character of uniting people <laughs> in, mm. in in that way so but what if you have to spread a lie then that requires a great deal of coordination and re it requires uh, cooking the books so to speak as opposed to those who are just speaking the truth or they see what's happening and they're denouncing it or they're uh, reporting it as it really is so I, I want to ask you this I mean you're the founder of uh, Muslim skeptic Muslim skeptic uh, .com. Um, apart from your own platform uh, which is part of an answer to my question what other news sources independent sources of information and news can people access that you recommend other than your own uh, obviously your own platform but what else would should Muslims and other people who want to think for themselves what are the go-to sources should they look at do you think honestly I go to my Twitter feed and right. that's my source of news right. uh, at this point but wh why Twitter what, what, what's what's unique about Twitter that, that is your go-to source Twitter has experienced uh, this might be controversial but uh, Twitter has experienced this uh, revival in my opinion mm -hmm. since Elon Musk has bought it out mm -hmm. and there is much less overt control yeah. uh, over what is allowed to be said on that platform I was actually banned from Twitter and and in what I believe was a politically motivated. I didn't realize. Gosh. Oh yeah, I was yeah. off of Twitter for you didn't notice I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, mm, yes, yeah. I've been so consumed by my own things. But, but sorry, so was it because when Musk came on, that's when the the, the great return happened? People. Can, yeah, yeah. So Musk, uh, re you know, uh, returned my account, uh, reinstated my account, Amazing. and. and before, if I posted something that was uh, contrary to a mainstream Democrat left-wing narrative, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would get penalized for that uh, on the platform, even though it didn't involve hate speech, no, it no. didn't involve any kind of yeah. illegal speech yeah, yeah. or any calls to violence. It was still it was very, very tight political control. Yeah, yeah, political yeah. censorship. Yeah, but yeah. now that Musk is. Uh, in control, he's eased that, and he's—I don't think it's perfect, um, but it's much more open to debate and dialogue and challenging the status quo, challenging official narratives, yeah. uh, even like uh, boosting versus deboosting. So uh, on the old platform, oh, you might not get overtly banned so shadow banning, but your shadow banned right. or your post is deboosted if it's promoting something that is contrary to the official yeah. status quo yeah. um, whereas that seems to have been minimized or it's gone away yeah that's my perspective maybe others have a different perspective no I, I've noticed but uh, the on the downside there's some I, mean, I won't mention the name I don't want to give them any publicity but there's some far-right groups in the UK that now have a very substantial following they were banned before mm -hmm. uh, and now they've got a platform to promote their views and it's always anti-Islamic uh, and these days often just pro-Zionist as well paradoxically because historically they've been quite anti-Jewish but now they're not I mean there are ex exceptions yeah. um, so like everyone's now on board um, but, even though yeah. even those right-wingers uh, like the far-right white nationalist types the ones that are anti-Islam it's very easy to rebut them mm -hmm. so whereas if they're banned sometimes they can um, just operate and grow without being confronted or without being debunked but when you actually see what they're saying mm -hmm. it's not much substance there or it's easily refuted I don't view that as I as a big cost 
to yeah. the bigger benefit of just having a more open platform. So I'm, not a, I'm not a free speech absolutist. No, no, no. by any means. <laughs> but uh, I think that there's a right, the a better balance now than before. No, I, I agree. That's been my experience uh, as well. Uh, although it's not the case in my view on Facebook and perhaps on Instagram. Facebook yeah. particularly seems Facebook is old regime. It's like I'll ban you for having a. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sneezing in the wrong direction. <laughs> no, I had this about a year, year and a half ago. The, the Blogging Theology Facebook group uh, w was was simply shut down, and I was told it was shut down for security concerns. Wow! So, so wow. I said to them, "Why? What? Oh, we can't tell you. Can I?" And they said, "You have no right of appeal." Wow. And it was like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't ask why, and they just said it had been shut down for security. I mean, seriously, this is Blogging Theology wow. on Facebook. So I just restarted it up again. I went to another site, put in the same details, a different. Uh, email address now I'm exposing my secrets but I but um, because it was outrageous because there was no sense of justice or sense of fair play or sense of uh, appeal or anything um, and I hadn't done anything wrong I mean obviously you know what BT I mean what, yeah. what are we going to say that's going to scare anyone but we well, offended I don't know well, <laughs> quite edgy quite an edgy you're, platform you reckon uh, um, so um, shh, don't tell anyone um, but no I, I, uh, whatever the reason was they, they shut it down but um, no, YouTube doesn't seem to be well uh, it doesn't seem to be quite so risque but you're, you've, you've voiced concerns about your yeah, YouTube, presence on definitely. YouTube yeah YouTube definitely YouTube also I don't think they're bad as Facebook, but uh, they're also they're not as good as Twitter. No. Um, so, but you did you follow the Twitter files? Uh, that was yeah, one of the things that Musk, yes. yeah, Musk oh, yeah, revealed yeah, 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 that yeah, right. yeah, yeah. the the U.S. government in particular yeah. uh, is overtly involved, like yeah. directly involved in having meetings with these yeah. platforms yeah. and saying, "Oh, well, we want this account banned. We want this account banned." Yeah. So it wouldn't be surprising if governments are telling you know, these platforms. It's actually not in the interests of the platforms. Mm. Uh, the platforms benefit from having big channels that are talking about mm. controversial subjects because that increases engagement and increases time that people have on the platform. Mm -hmm. I actually don't have, like I'll be on Twitter and going through that feed, it, it's connected to the lack of censorship. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't bother with Facebook because it's so boring and bland. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. everything interesting has been censored for security reasons. Yeah. Uh, so the platform kills itself yeah. uh, with that level of censorship that they've undertaken. Uh, you just go to Facebook for what? You know, well, for family photographs and yeah, you know, family birthdays photos. and whatever. Yeah, but that wasn't how Facebook was in the past. No. In the past, there were a lot of very yeah. controversial topics being discussed and debated, and it was interesting. Like, oh, let's see what so and so has to say. It was it was a kind of public space for debate, mm -hmm. uh, but that that's been absolutely killed because mm -hmm. one side of the debate is just overtly censored. Uh, but Twitter now has, I think, taken that mantle up and is upholding that in a much better way. Yeah. So in terms of uh, um, supporting the Palestinians uh, and all that, that, that whole cause on Twitter, do you reckon it's, uh, it's an open space or is there still... Obviously, what can't There's support? What can't say? I support Hamas, presumably on Twitter. Uh, one couldn't say that, or can one say that? You might be able to say that. Really? Okay. Outright. Right, if right. if someone were inclined to say that, they yeah. could. Uh, yeah. They could probably say that. I haven't. S I don't know of any cases where right. they've been overly banned. Yeah. Gosh, well, that is very very open. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the videos they will put. Um, some of the activists were noting this that. 
if you put a gruesome photo of some Israeli person who has been uh, harmed, then that will be boosted. But if it's a Palestinian, they'll put like a censorship warning, like sensitive content, right. and it'll be de-boosted. Some have pointed out that maybe that's a double standard. I haven't confirmed it, but mm, so I, it's not necessarily 100% even-handed as we would like, mm. but uh, it's miles better than both Facebook and, and YouTube. Right, because I, I know Musk himself says he no longer uh, consumes the or reads the there's a legacy media he calls it he just has which presumably is like CNN and BBC whatever he has he doesn't read it anymore he said it on the which was remarkable considering his yeah. you know running Twitter and all that um, I, I know I know the, the Gaza the, the situation in Gaza is particularly awful but I what what can we I mean what can we do as just ordinary ordinary Muslims or ordinary people generally to um, what do you see as our strategy, our role here? Do we just keep publicizing it or refuting the narrative or pushing back against the lies or the, the language that's used? I mean, do you have a kind of a, a way of a, a strategy about this? Um, there is a um, strategy, of course, that we have to you know, take the means or asbab, as it's said in Arabic, like we take the means that are in front of us for opposing evil. And this is actually coming from the statement of the Prophet that if you see an evil, change it with your hand. If you're not able to do so, change it with your tongue. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to do so, then hate it with your heart. And that's the lowest level of Iman. Yeah. And that kind of um, philosophy or mindset that we do as much as we can. And that's, that comes from a spiritual place. Like you actually have to hate evil, you have to hate injustice. And, um, but what are the actual means that you can take to oppose those things? So in our situation, uh, or from the situation of most Muslims around the world, it's speaking out. Um, and we should not consider this to be a small thing. Mm. Uh, speaking out ha can have a, or has had a great impact. Um, and many have noted with this current situation that Israel has lost the information war. Wow. Um, and that is not because the major legacy media channels or the big tech companies have supported uh, the Palestinian mm. cause. Mm. It's because of individual accounts and just a mass, millions of people going online and demanding justice, pointing out the hypocrisy, pointing out the atrocities of this terror state. Uh, so that's that voice has a major, major impact. And when they survey different um, countries in the world that have nothing, very little to do with Israeli or Palestinian politics, yeah. they're overwhelmingly on the Palestinian side. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, the thing that really stuck out to me um, last week was that they polled the Chinese online. And we know that the Communist Party is not necessarily the biggest fan of Muslims, <laughs> but as for the Chinese people, they 99% believe that Palestine was the victim and Israel is really? the aggressor. 
So, and, and this is in Latin America. Also, you see yeah. many accounts that will be flying the Palestinian flag. And you know, so some of the, uh, the some of the leaders of, the, of some of these nations in South America have spoken very vo vocally in support of the Palestinians. Yeah. I forget which ones. Venezuela, perhaps, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Brazil, yeah, Argentina, Brazil. Right. African nations as well. So this is uh, this is <coughs> Israel losing the information where they they don't really have support, popular support in the global sense. Mm. Even in the Western, even in Western countries, um, even amongst uh, Jews, even amongst Western Jews, there is, amongst the lower, uh, the younger generations, there's uh, decreasing support, like uh, right. of the Zionist project overall. And this is this has become a crisis for Israel mm -hmm. uh, because they have programs uh, to groom, you could say, the youth to support Zionism, uh, birthright trips, for example, where they'll take uh, university uh, Jewish students and this is your birthright. Let's go to Israel and they'll tour. They'll have a va nice vacation. What happened to the birthright of Palestinians who are refugees and no longer, you know, the right of return? Uh, I, I always bring it up with, I won't mention their names, but there's a few, few Jewish people I know, and they're just not interested in having a conversation about the right of return of the Palestinians. You know, this is their homeland. Uh, they only want it, you know, but, but the Jewish people, if they're born anywhere in the world and might, might have been the hundredth generation going back in that country, simply have a right of return, so to speak, to Palestine or the occupied country. It's extraordinary. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually hard to believe, really. You think in a modern world that this kind of logic would exist. But it does, and it's legal and supported by the West. You know, we stand with Israel, as, as they all say in, in lockstep, the same language, all of them together. Right. Um, I don't know, it's just yeah, it's a, all a big propaganda game. But the but good news is yeah. that it's the lies come out eventually, and people wake up. But you, on that very point, that there was this attack on the hospital in Gaza, and we had this um, IDF recording, uh, alleged recording of. Um, Hamas, you know, fighters allegedly saying, "Oh, well, we we admit that we hit the hospital." And uh, you know, uh, uh, the people I know who are Arabs or speak Arabic fluently have cl clearly identified this as a fake, because the people speaking on this are, are, are not are, are, are comedians. They're not real. They they have no authenticity about them. And it's very obvious, apparently, that it's not authentic. To yeah. just, uh, and and but but that's a direct result of social media listening to this and responding to it and exposing it and saying, this is a joke. You can't be. T we can't take this seriously. No way. This is too pallid. You know, this is not authentic. And so this has backfired, and purely because of social media, I think. Yeah, what's shocking is not that Israel is trying to fake images, fake audio, even fake video. Um, that's not the shocking thing. The shocking thing is that their fakes are so bad. <laughs> because yeah. they're, uh, even myself, like on social media, there are people who try to fake, like create uh, fake audio of me speaking really? using AI. And Lovely. that those fakes are more convincing <laughs> than what the, what Israel is putting out. So that's that's the shocking thing, as far as I'm concerned. Or there was the fake image that Ben Shapiro put out oh, of sorry. the alleged charred remains oh, of, right, of, a, right. of a baby. Yeah, it's disturbing until you find, you know there's expert analysis done that points out that this is a complete fake mm -hmm. AI generated image. <laughs> And Ben Shapiro never retracted that. He never uh, made a clarification. They just—that's the brazen thing about it. They lie, and then they stand by the lie. Mm -hmm. And the way that I describe it is that they—they—they they, they know that you know that they're lying. <laughs> 
you know, they know they're lying. They know that you know that they're lying. They yeah. know that you know that they're lying, <laughs> but they still, you know, proceed in the most aggressive, shameless way. Like yeah. a normal person, if you're brazenly lying, there are certain indications like you might avert your eyes or you might like fidget or like or there's something to touch something your nose <laughs> like yeah there's a tell <laughs> yeah but they they're uh, very aggressive with their lies as if they fully believe it like they live in a completely different world yeah. uh, than the rest of humanity I mean, just lastly, I, I want to slightly change the subject because I just can't resist. I want to, because meeting you for the first time, you had that amazing uh, debate or dialogue. Uh, you, uh, Jake, uh, Robert Spencer, and guy person called Brother Rashid uh, on on YouTube, and I forget how many millions of hits this has got now. But mm -hmm. I mean, talk about going viral, and, th and that was a masterclass. Uh, you and Jake, uh, and so very much grateful for what you did there, the way you countered the narrative, particularly Robert's. Well, both of Robert Spencer and this guy, brother Rashid. Mm -hmm. But I mean, well, what's your takeaway from that? I mean, what, what? I mean, it was brilliant. You, I mean, uh, I've been itching for someone to, to respond to Robert Spencer with that kind of classy intellectual pushback for for a long time, because uh, he gets away with a lot as well, doesn't he? In a Sorry. in the states, and um, um, and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, what are your reflections post debate on what happened there? I mean, it is. Is, is Robert Spencer a credible figure anymore, even in his own circles, or has he now been quietly, <laughs> embarrassingly, kind of thing? <laughs> Let's move on from him. Yeah, I mean, he has he has no presence or following online other than Indian accounts, like Indian oh. Hindu So, right. if you took out the that Hindu dva factor, those Indian accounts. Which is a big thing, but India is a It's a huge, yeah, country, you know, yeah. thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of accounts that just wow. flood. And they've done analysis on this, like most of the Islamophobia or anti-Muslim speech on social media uh, comes from India. So yeah. how, how yeah. is that? Yeah, um, France is another one, but uh, the, yeah, I don't think he really has uh, any kind of following or presence it's just artificially generated right. and he's been irrelevant for a long time he just has avoided confronting Muslims face to face right. in a debate I've challenged him multiple times before over the past two years because he, his website has published multiple articles about me denouncing me as an extremist etc yeah. And I've confronted him directly. Like he'll post the article on his Twitter, and I'll reply, uh, and he'll get ratioed <laughs> with my reply, saying that, "Okay, Robert, uh, you clearly find me worthy of yeah. deconstruction and critique. Yeah. Why not that's just confront me face to yeah. face and yeah. explain to me uh, how I'm an extremist or how I'm this or that?" And he just flatly refused, ignores. Wow. So this, you know, this becomes a strategy to essentially bully these bullies. Mm -hmm. um, if you uh, want to write about me, then you should be able to uh, talk to me face to face and, and show me up and, and debunk my views, uh, debunk Islam. But you avoid that. And their follower, it's demoralizing for their followers. Their followers see that challenge and they mm -hmm. see the silence from Robert. So that's, uh, but for this Patrick Bet David, he had no choice. He wanted to get on that large platform, yeah. uh, even at the risk of being exposed. Uh, but I was shocked at how poorly he prepared. 
Um, I mean, I didn't expect much from that brother uh, Rashid, Rashid yeah. whatever his yeah. name yeah. is. He's very emotional. Very, um, come back to the same kind of line all the time, rhetorically, emotionally, kind of loaded statements he would make. But you know, that was you know to do it once, okay, but to keep on coming back with his rhetoric. Yeah, uh, it's quite was, pathetic. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't that great. Um, so, but yeah, Spencer should have been a more capable. Mm. Um, for what we were going to say, like, did he really expect to bring up, uh, you know, apostasy in Islam and the different uh, penal code or punishments in Islam, and then we would have no response? Mm. I think that's what he expected. He said, "Oh, well, in Islam you have this punishment, therefore, you know, explain it." Oh, you can't, can you? You can't explain <laughs> it, therefore. But uh, the, but that's a, that's in other debates that I've had with Christians. Will point out that look, you have the same laws in the Bible. But this is a, I love the way you, you push back. You say, uh, Robert, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm paraphrasing you, of course. I, I'm, if I'm debating a, a liberal secularist or even an atheist here, because that's the position that our, even fundamentalist Christians, in my experience, the speaker's corner, they come from this kind of assumption that liberal secular modernity is their baseline when it comes to all these issues. But they're fundamentalist Christians as well. <laughs> they, they, they have the highest view of the Bible as the Word of God. And I'm thinking. Excuse me, you know, your criticism of Islam is completely void. And what are you? Are you going to be a liberal secularist or a Christian? Choose your ground. But they always choose the secular ground because it's the more powerful one in their view because they're in tune with the Western zeitgeist. So they've got this kind of axiomatic worldview that we all inhabit, they think. They don't, they don't argue from the Bible because they can't because there's no objection then, uh, you know. Uh, so uh, that was a, a rhetorical move. I, li I like that. Very juicy. And I thought, wow, yeah. you know. Who am I debating? Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, this is all of the Christian debaters are like this. Their apologists are all uh, just taking for granted liberalism, yeah. secularism, feminism. They take it for granted and that's the basis on which they critique Islam. But their own books, their own religious tradition, their own church is undermined by those same critiques. So it's yeah. like a, you know, it's for lack of a better term, like a suicide mission. Yeah. <laughs> they want to yeah. just take themselves out. Uh, they want to take Muslims out by taking themselves out. But <laughs> other religions are similar, like Hinduism. You see Jewish interlocutors also. Um, Buddhist, in, in some cases, they have this kind of attack of Islam on the basis that it is not pro-woman enough, it is not pro-democracy enough, it is not pro-free speech enough, pro-LGBT enough. That's their main criticism of mm -hmm. Islam. They don't criticize Islam on the basis of their own religious doctrines. Like, I could, I could respect a Buddhist more who says that, well, I do not agree with Islam because Islam doesn't have the concept of reincarnation and reincarnation is just a more um, rational position to have. Uh, I would have more respect for that. Or even the Christians who will argue that, well, I do not agree with Islam because it doesn't have this kind of trinity, trinitarian concept which is more rationally compelling somehow. That is more respectable than someone who says that, oh, Islam doesn't have sec free, uh, separation of church and state or separation of mosque and state, therefore it's false. Mm -hmm. Like, where in your own books is this concept enshrined other than like a projection of the liberal concept onto your books, exactly. which some Muslims do as well, uh, incorrectly. But yeah, that's, that's the nature of these interfaith debates. And it makes it very easy for the Muslim debater because you're just 
arguing liberalism. You're debating against liberalism, and there are a few arguments that you need to learn, and you can debate any religious group on that basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just going to put their own flavor on it, their own Christian flavor, Jewish flavor, Hindu flavor, but ultimately it's the same debate over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And course, what this means, of course, is that Islam is the only major world religion, I think, uh, anywhere now, that is retaining the integrity of its fundamental beliefs, the, the Quran and the Sunnah. It's not capitulated, uh, generally speaking, to uh, the zeitgeist or, or Western political uh, ideological agendas. Now, there are, there are one or two individual exceptions, but they seem to be very marginal figures, uh, marginal Increasingly so. Uh, you know, increasingly uh, so, they're, they're being marginalized by Muslim. Uh, well, we're just talking about the UK becoming, uh, the younger yeah, generation is yeah, becoming yeah. more religiously committed. So, uh, in the past, you'd find these, these liberal Muslims advocating for religious reform, etc. Mm. They had a much greater influence, I think, it was because of government funding as well. Yes. A lot of them were government funded, but there seems to be a, um, they've been marginalized to a great deal. It's because their arguments aren't very compelling. Mm. That's, uh, I, this is why I appreciate a lot of what you do, Paul, with um, blogging theology, is you establish, um, like you're, you do a lot of textual criticism of the Bible, mm. and that is a very valuable service uh, for Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, because it shows that, well, if you don't really have a preserved text, then it becomes much easier to reform, mm. uh, because you really can make excuses that, well, we can adopt secularism and liberalism and, and all of these other isms uh, because there's not, uh, there is a text, but the text has shown all kinds of signs of corruption or being modified. And that's actually a liberal critique. Like that's what Orientalism originally was founded on. The Orientalists wanted to apply the uh, textual criticism of the Bible to the Quran uh, in order to undermine the Quran in the way that the Bible had yeah. been undermined yeah. so that's a that's a way to secularize a, a like a religious population is mm -hmm. to uh, show that population that oh see the books that you thought were from God mm -hmm. are actually man-made so why would you that that has a big impact on undermining a person's faith yeah they haven't been able to do that in the same way with the Quran no. and so that prevents the secularization it prevents liberalization mm -hmm. Muslims you know if you say to a Muslim oh well you should um, you should adopt uh, secularism, they'll say, oh, well, we have these hadith, we have these verses of the Quran, mm -hmm. and they are completely contradicting a secular mm -hmm. ideology or, or worldview. Mm -hmm. And the response can't be, oh, well, these are man-made things because we see the distortion, we bring two manuscripts mm -hmm. from the time, you know, 1400 years ago, and they have significant differences, and they, they are just completely uh, edited, and, and, and what have you. There has been uh, that kind of result from the Orientalist project. No, and we now have, I mean, the University of Birmingham, it was uncovered uh, just a, a couple of years ago, a Quran that comes from the time of the Prophet himself, upon him be peace, which has been carbon dated, and it's exactly the same as modern Qurans. And I often, I often say to Christians, perhaps in a more polemical context, uh, speakers, I say, how many manuscripts of the New Testament do you have from the first Christian century? And uh, the answer is zero, of course. Uh, the second Christian century, uh, 
it's actually just a credit card fragment of John's Gospel, you know, third century. And you know, then I say to them, well, what's the earliest complete New Testament we have in the world? What's the earliest manuscript? It's the fourth century AD, 400 years after the birth of Jesus, upon your peace. Codex Vaticanus. The Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex mm -hmm. Vaticanus. Codex Sinaiticus is here in London in the British Library, which we think is the oldest in the world. But the, there's one in the Vaticanus the Codex Vaticanus, approximately the same date, both mid-fourth century, and that's the earliest complete New Testament we have in the world, uh, in Greek. So what a difference. And we have now 100% of the Quran apparently in manuscript form, in various manuscripts throughout the world, dating back to the time of the Prophet himself. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's in so Greek, you know, because... It's not even the language of Jesus. Yeah, it's not the language <laughs> it's not of Jesus. Even, or, but oh. it was written by people who didn't know Jesus, that the Gospels are not even eyewitness accounts, according to the Christian's own scholars. And yet we have a very robust, uh, you know, uh, hadith criticism when it comes to Sahih Hadith. We have the Quran is intact, and it, that's the, that is the consensus of Western scholars. Now, the Quran we have today is the same Quran that the Sahaba knew, for example, and that's the majority. There are one or two dis people disagree with that, but the mainly Western scholars now accept that, yeah. and obviously Muslims do too. So game over, <laughs> you know, that's it. You know, the only issue is now is what you say, you know, uh, secularism and how we respond to the message. The message is intact actually yeah. and that, that's re uh, remarkable that's almost unique amongst the world religions that uh, I think yeah I mean I would one thing that uh, I've been looking into this past year and doing more research on is how these orientalists or I mean orientalist is now taking as pejorative but we can say yeah. Islamic studies academics they have shifted their focus from the Quran to hadith and attacking yep. the uh, preservation of hadith yep. and they're not they don't acknowledge that this is a this is a big back step that they've made because their original right. claims were that the Quran yeah. is, was uh, something that yeah, medieval I, I remember it's like two or three centuries after the time of the prophet apparently the Quran was compiled and, uh, and people like Jay Smith I mentioned his name you know the, the American missionary uh, still trot out this line but it's completely destroyed no one yeah. no serious and within academia no one believes that no, no one believes it now but yeah. they did in the past you're right yeah, yeah they believe like uh, Patricia Crona for example and Cook Michael Cook yeah. they had this view that yeah. even the figure of uh, the Prophet Muhammad so I saw them this is a just made up figure right. um, you have Hagarism you have a different yeah, like this right. is yeah. Islam as is known is just the invention of medieval Muslims yeah uh, so that has been completely de been debunked yeah. the claim that the Quran is just a compilation of different Arabic literature translating translated from mm -hmm. Aramaic sources or, right, yeah. or Syriac sources, yeah. that's been completely debunked because of the, the things like the Birmingham manuscript. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but now they've they've shifted their focus to hadith. Okay, yeah. okay, fine. We, we're not able to really get the Muslims in the same way we got Christianity or Judaism. We'll have to go th to the hadith literature. But even there, I think that uh, they're not really going to be successful. No. Uh, but I think Muslims, there is there needs to be an effort to debunk their claims against hadith. Uh, I attempted to do some of this uh, with a debate that I had with one of these academics from Harvard. You might have seen it. Um, we had like a nearly seven-hour debate. Well, wow. yeah. <laughs> seven-hour debate. So That's that right. was that was a you know that was a debate on the 
um, uh, uh, certain values within Islam. Yeah. Um, so he, as an academic, claimed that well, these at you know these values regarding uh, patriarchy, for example, values regarding sexual ethics, val values regarding secularism, uh, things regarding religious freedom. These were are restrictions on religious freedom. These are things that were invented after, mm. uh, well after the Prophet Muhammad, and they're not authentic to the religion. Um, therefore. Uh, he's also he ha happens to be like a modernist so he has his own agenda yeah, beyond just academic objectivity um, so he was making that argument and I in that debate I used uh, non-hadith sources to prove that well th what what the hadith record about patriarchy non you know Western style secular religious freedom etc that is uh, it's more plausible historically using the historical critical method that that was taught by the Prophet peace be upon him that's mm. actually what the Prophet believed mm. uh, so and, and that's also something that's shared with Western uh, you know uh, non-muslim academics they'll say of course Islam like the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was a patriarchal and had patriarchal views of course you know of course uh, <laughs> and and just on the basis of other historical sources yeah, like yeah. Uh, other religions of the time of course like they obviously they have yeah. the secular perspective they don't believe that it's been revealed but they're not going to question that mm -hmm. it's only a reformist who says that no this is a later accretion this is something later that was invented uh, but it, it, the argument really breaks down when you do look at the historical sources other than hadith. The, ha the historical sources corroborate the authenticity yeah. of the hadith. I mean, I got this, this marvelous new translation of Al Muwatta uh, by Malik, you know, f from, from Medina. Um, it's been produced as from the, uh, sponsored by the Moroccan government, I think. And, you know, uh, yeah, but people often say, uh, not Muslims, but uh, polemicists say, ah, oh, well, your hadith were written down, you know, two or three centuries after, you know, only in Bukhari do we have these hadith being written down and excuse me we got Amwata which is much earlier and I think it's something like 30 33% or 36% of the Sahih uh, hadith in Bukhari come from directly from Amwata Malik's mm -hmm. book which is I mean he knew people who knew the Sahaba I mean he was this golden chain this is this expression that Bukhari uses the, the three you know the, the, just basically three people uh, going back to the Muhammad very solid reliable means of transmission which is authenticated we know all about these people, where they met, how they met, and they're reliable, as I say. And there are hundreds and hundreds of reliable hadith like that just in the, in the Mawata alone. And, and, and I'm, a, I'm an amateur, and I can see this. I mean, it, it, it's, it's document, and we, we have the Mawata in, in manuscript form from the time of Malik himself as being carbon dated. It's not like a, a later theory. This is, we actually have, you know, we can actually read the Mawata in its original language in his handwriting that's been carbon dated. Yeah. So, I mean, it gets earlier and earlier and earlier, and these fantastic claims that only two or three centuries later were these hadith written down. No, they weren't. They were written down much earlier right. than that, just in the Mawata alone. Right. Um, and that's not the only early source. There are others. So, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, it's a, the... Uh, manuscripts are being discovered that really are pushing back the, the all the time the objective confirmed yeah. dates yeah. so it seems like it's only a matter of time but even independent sources um, because uh, one question you have uh, some of these academics who were claiming that uh, like the Shahada 
La ilaha illallah, there is no God except Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. That is some, the second part of it, that Muhammad is his messenger, that was added uh, later in later generations. That wasn't part of the original uh, Shahada. And uh, because in the Quran it's not clear, this is what they claim, it's not clearly in the Quran that this is a, one of the testimony, like this is part of the testimony of faith. Uh, but now independent sources, rock inscriptions. So um, what these companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, would do, and, and other Arabs, Muslims at the time, uh, it was you could call it like graffiti, but they would make markings in different uh, stone structures or, or like mountainside or cliffside. They would make these inscriptions. Uh, maybe you've had interviews with some of these academics who specialize in that. But they found, you know, they found. Uh, rock inscriptions of the Shahada that date to the time of the Prophet peace be upon him. So this is something that's independent of Hadith, but it's something that's physically verifiable. You can date it and place yeah. it at that point in history. All of these sources corroborate the traditional narrative um, and the, and the traditional understanding of Hadith and what the Hadith are putting forward. Yeah. And as time goes on, as more of this data is collected, uh, it, the direction that it's moving is to actually confirm that what Muslims are practicing and what they believe, the beliefs and norms of Muslims are actually uh, completely accurately preserved from the time of the Prophet. But this contradicts, like this is a big blow to this liberal secular project. I, I, and the other, I say unfortunately, but it is the case in Christianity. It's actually the other way around. For, for example, I remember for years I was told that this fragment of John's Gospel, uh, which is in the John Rylands Library in Manchester University actually, which I've seen, a critic hard-sized fragment, Gospel of John, was dated to about 125 AD. Mm. So it's pretty early, it's still not first century. But actually in recent years, the dating of it has been pushed uh, much later uh, actually, and it's now mid uh, to late second century. So it's no longer as early as they thought. And that is our earliest text, <laughs> the yeah. New Testament. So it's exactly the opposite momentum, is actually to date these things later and later in Christianity. And so we don't have it, no first century manuscripts at all for Christianity. But as you say, well, I, I've spoken to some experts on my channel. Um, you know, we're, we're there's lots of uh, discoveries, not just inscriptions on rocks, as you say, and cliff faces in uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, mentioning the Sahaba, dated right back to the time of Sahaba, you know, obviously confirming they existed. There's archaeological evidence. Um, and also the manuscript tradition is still, still a lot of stuff out there that's not been uh, properly classified, but it all corroborates an earlier and earlier date. Um, very interesting movement. So this shouldn't be happening by the Orientalist narrative. It shouldn't really be happening like that, but it yeah. is. Um, yeah, another example is, uh, imagine you read in Hadith that the Muslims were instructed to, um, uh, at a certain point, the Qibla was changed, yes. you know, yes. from yeah, Jerusalem thing. to Mecca or to the Kaaba. Yeah. There was a change in orientation oh, right. of the Qibla. So you might think, okay, well, the only way to verify this is we have to look at the chain. We have to corroborate every link in the chain. Um, maybe there could be a manuscript somewhere that we can date to the time of the Prophet Sallallahu or, or shortly after. After, uh, but there is another way. You can do archaeology and you can see um, the foundations of some of these. Uh, 
Masajid from 1400 years ago, you can date that, you can carbon date that or radiocarbon date it and see, oh, okay, there was a shift right. in the Qibla uh, and that would corroborate the Hadith. Gotcha. So things like that or burial practices of Muslims. You, see, you read Hadith that say that, well, Muslims who are buried, they need to be, uh, have a kafan, you know, a certain cloth that they are wearing and they should be buried in orientation facing the Qibla. Exactly. Uh, that's something that ar archaeology can actually verify well, and you can date it. And so that corroborates the Hadith. So if you, have, yeah. if you have enough of that type of corroboration, then it becomes much more plausible mm -hmm. beyond like the internal tools that Muslims have, or traditionally like mutawatir, like something is mass transmitted, mm -hmm. uh, this chain has been preserved and we have an internal Hadith criticism. Yeah. These academics are skeptical of all of that. They yeah. say, well, th of course Muslims are going to claim that they're uh, their sources are, um, you know, corroborating. Um, I think they're wrong about that. I think there is uh, plausibility that you can use, uh, like mathematically, to show that it is um, plausible that these hadith have been maintained uh, since uh, the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, but even beyond that, if we look at these archaeological sources, we look at manuscript sources, rock inscriptions, even coinage, uh, because yeah. coins have been found as well. All of that together makes a very strong case, arguably a definitive case, that the Hadith tradition is accurate in describing uh, the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and, and his teachings, his beliefs, and his norms. Mm. And there's also a, an internal co coherence about his teaching as well. It, it, there's a distinctive voice, I think, well, the Prophet, even in English when it's translated, there's a sense of, uh, of it, the way he speaks, the style, uh, very, very, just, uh, very recognizable, I think, and very beautiful, actually. Um, well, are you aware of the forensic analysis that's been done? In Turkey, was that the Tur It might have been Turkey, it might have been an Arab uh, okay. computer or linguist. Yeah, I heard, it, yeah, uh, maybe in Turkey or not. They, yeah, they actually, they actually uh, processed this in software to see, they compared the Quran with the authentic Hadith to see if it came from the same voice, the same human voice, in, you know, pet. Yeah, and they found it, it wasn't possible, they were completely different. Yeah, because there. This is also used in Shakespeare analysis. Oh. you know, because if you, who, who what is the true identity of Shakespeare, mm. um, and, and was there some other figure who was writing as Shakespeare oh, under right. a pseudonym, right. and we can uh, compare texts. Uh, like we can cons compare Shakespeare to the writing of some candidate, yeah. uh, possible Shakespeare. It's assumed that the person who's writing as Shakespeare is tr going to try to hide his style yeah. and try to uh, mimic okay. something yeah. else in order to yeah. copy Shakespeare or to to write, uh, you know, be a playwright. Yeah. Uh, but the forensic analysis is supposed to be able to uh, beat, you know, that type of mim mimicry yeah. Yeah. or that attempt to deceive. Yeah. Uh, and so they've applied that same kind of forensic analysis to the Quran versus the Hadith. Yeah. And there's no way, probabilistically, that the author of the Quran could also be the author yeah, of Hadith. Yeah, the speech patterns, all that, there's very subtle things that would betray authorship, uh, you know, uh, haven't in any way uh, made that. Yeah, exactly. so it's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, that's what forensics yeah. is about. Like, they do it with handwriting as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, the serial killer writes a note, yeah. and he'll try to... Uh, yeah, you know, pretend to be someone pretend else, to be someone but, else but the forensics will yeah. pick that up. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, same when it comes to speech and writing. But of course, the Muslims are not going to be surprised at that because that's what they, they believe anyway. But yeah, it, of course. It, the, the challenge there is for other people to explain how on earth do you account for this then? Yeah. Uh, when it's, you know, the evidence suggests it's not, they come from different sources. Uh, so and then, you, then I suppose you say, oh, well, some other human being wrote the Quran. Mm -hmm. But then uh, that creates far more problems than it right. solves, really. Like, who else would have, would have done it? Well, who's this mystery candidate? But, uh, yeah, it starts stretching plausibility. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, perhaps in conclusion, I'm dying to ask about the future of Muslim skeptic and your own work. Do you, do you have a Do you have a great plan for the future? You know, Daniel is going to be doing X next. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, do we have any, any new initiatives on the horizon? Perhaps some new initiatives are uh, trying to really expand and improve everything that we're already doing. Right. Uh, so we are doing a lot of debates. Uh, inshallah, we're going to continue that. We do a lot of um, deep dive analysis on different topics. Like we recently had a video uh, debunking this idea that uh, jihad uh, allows for terrorism. The concept of jihad in Islam actually condones terrorism according to the classical sources, which is what some groups uh, today have claimed, um, terror groups. We completely debunk that. No, I mean, the, the terrorism has, has been uh, the, 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 the word's not there, but the concept, the idea, is being clearly prohibited by the Sharia from the beginning. Is apps? It's a serious, serious crime, uh, a capital crime, even. So this idea that terrorism is compatible is is yeah. refuted by all the classical texts. It's simply not possible. Yeah. So we, you know, that kind of research, right. we we want to just uh, basically people already say that Muslim skeptic is like a think tank. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. we want to really start to formalize it and become like an actual uh, full-blown think tank with researchers and putting out books. Um, we have a book actually that has uh, been written uh, through research, uh, researchers coming together on liberal mind control. I taught right. a course on it, right. but we actually yeah. have uh, like a hundred-page book um, that we hope to publish uh, under this think tank. So Muslim Skeptic as a think tank um, uh, that is the bigger vision and we're working towards that step by step and everyone who's interested can support you know we, right. we're 100 percent donation uh, funded uh, we don't have any, well, any you don't have government governments funding, are surprisingly <laughs> not supporting the FBI is not funding you no. yeah. um, but it was, it, you, what you're doing it overlaps considerably though with the, the sapiens Institute it seems mm -hmm. uh, they have a UK uh, presence uh, sorry a US presence as well I should say there seems to be an awful lot of overlap though in terms of being a think tank producing courses critiquing liberalism producing books mm -hmm. and, uh, debates and so on so uh, these are two powerhouses now working in tandem um, yeah absolutely they're yeah. doing a lot of great work putting out a lot of great material everyone should really watch and, and consume yeah. their material and support them so yeah. we're trying to do our part as well no uh, you're doing an extraordinary uh, job so inshallah you will go from success to success well I, I think that's probably good I think it's been one hour uh, so uh, thank you very much indeed Daniel and uh, uh, good to see you in England and uh, yeah, Texan in London so yeah it's beautiful um, uh, meeting you finally and getting to spend this time with you so appreciate you very much Paul no fantastic until next time, thank you very much, Danny. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.